This is the voice of Carnage, and you are listening to Carnage Cast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Carnage Cast, episode 56. I'm Tyler, and with me today is Ray. Hi, how are you? Good. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition and their Adventurers League with an expert on the subject. Before we get into that, I just want to remind everyone a Fifth Bull of Carnage is coming up November 7th through the 9th of 2014 at the Killington Grand Resort in Killington, Vermont. You can download the convention book now from CarnageCon.com and pre-register for the events you want to play in or show up and take dealer's choice at the front desk. It's going to be a good time. We're looking forward to it. If you want to know more, you should check out the prior and future episodes of Carnage Cast because we're going to be talking about the convention right up until the week thereof. And you should watch out for the math trade being hosted by Matt Golick, where everyone offers up games for trade and an algorithm maximizes the number of exchanges made. It'll be conducted through BoardGameGeek, but you can watch for math trade news on CarnageCon.com. And now, let's welcome in Al Spader from Jetpack Comics. How are you doing today, Al? Uh, Doing pretty well. Pretty excited about this. That's good. That's good. So uh, you're going to be running some D&D Adventurers League at Carnage this year. Uh, yeah, actually, myself and two other DMs from Jetpack Comics are going to be setting up. I think we have 12 sessions over the course of the weekend that we're going to be running all together. So you're basically running in every slot that's available that you can. Actually, yeah, we want to try to have two tables going at every single slot at CarnageCon. So everyone can have a chance to experience it and to uh, check out all the different modules that are being offered at this time. Well, that's good. So what makes the D&D Adventurers League different from the previous incarnations of the D&D living uh, things that they've had? Well, I think uh, one of the coolest things that they've done this time around um, is uh, when you create your Adventurers League character, uh, you have to choose among five different factions to align your character to. And um, the five different factions are the Emerald Enclave, the Order of the Gauntlet, uh, the Harpers, the Zentarum, and the Lord's Alliance. And basically they each have different uh, different uh, things that they believe in, and your character can do missions for them and things like that. Um, and once everything's all said and done, and uh, at the end of a season, whichever faction has had more missions completed by players will advance further in the storyline of the whole living uh, story, which is pretty awesome. That does sound pretty awesome, actually. Everybody starts off, are, are people creating, is, is this starting from like level one characters? Is this starting from level two, three? How are people getting into this initially? Uh, as of right now, uh, for the Adventurers League sessions, uh, there are six level one through four um, modules that have been released by Wizards of the Coast. Um, two more will be released uh, on the 20th of this month. Uh, and then uh, in uh, November, they're going to release the first five, level 5 to 10 modules. So um, we're, we're doing character creation the first couple sessions of um, both uh, Friday and Saturday at CarnageCon uh, so that everybody can have a level 1 character ready to run. Now, um, I haven't really had a chance to look much over 5th edition, and this is using the new 5th edition rules, correct? Yes. Um, so what's different about 5th edition? I know a lot of people were turned off from 4th edition because it was such a departure from 3 and 3.5. So what is 5th edition bringing to the table? 
so fifth edition has really streamlined a lot of things. Uh, it, the really uh, the, one of the main goals is to emphasize actually role playing. They want it to be a game as well, but there are also lots of things within uh, the player's handbook that encourage role playing. Um, for example, as part of the character creation process, you have to um, come up with a character background, and you can have different skills that you're trained in based off of that background. Um, you also choose uh, like perks of that background and maybe some flaws from that particular background. For example, um, you know maybe you were a, a sailor, but you were a pirate and you can't. You always try to steal stuff. You know, little things like that along the way that help um, build your character and it makes it a lot more flavorful. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so uh, I mean, aside from that, what they've done is they've really streamlined a lot of things. Um, so you first choose your race, uh, and you choose a race and then a sub-race. So, for example, you first choose an elf, which might give you plus two intelligence. Uh, but then you would have to choose whether you want to be a high elf, a wood elf, or a drow elf. And those would also give you additional little bonuses. Um, the, the greatest thing about uh, the character creation process is that whatever um, class you choose, by third level... Every class splits into three subclasses, some four uh, subclasses as well. Um, and so, like, you could be playing a, a fighter, and I could be playing a fighter at level three, and we would be completely different characters. And I think that adds to the fun. That definitely does add to the fun. That way you don't have the cookie-cutter characters that tend to pop up, especially in organized play, I've noticed. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I've been told that the real ultimate goal of the organized play was that uh, you, sh you should be able to play the game completely theater of the mind, and you shouldn't need a map or figures. I personally prefer having figures and a map, um, but you could run through adventures completely without them uh, using just theater of the mind, which is kind of cool. Uh, one thing I'm curious about uh, with the new D&D &D is what uh, room for variation and uh, experimentation is there in character creation? Um, well, currently right now, most classes at about third level split into three or four subclasses. I think Fighter actually splits into like eight subclasses. Um, but it sounds like they could potentially uh, release new books that have more subclasses, um, release more sub-races. Like right now, you can be a hill dwarf or you can be a mountain dwarf. Maybe they release, you know, an Icewind Dale book where you can be a frost dwarf eventually in the future. Um, but uh, I think within the, the player's handbook, I've played with many different people, uh, you know, both at, sitting at my table and as a player myself. And I've not seen two characters that were exactly the same. And that's just with a core book. And that's just with the core book. Um you know, I, I, it's it's so neat to see the options that you have. For example, a warlock can choose to go down the path of um, worshipping a fey creature, worshipping a demon, or worshipping Cthulhu. Um, not, actually, <laughs> not actually Cthulhu, but they call him the Great Old One, and it's, yeah, it's supposed to be Cthulhu. <laughs> uh, so, uh, like, you know, and so, so sometimes your abilities are similar but your stories are a heck of a lot different. Um, so let's say that we have two Cthulhu warlocks, but one of them might have been a noble and met Cthulhu one way. One of them might be an outcast and met Cthulhu a different way. It's more uh, structured support for the story element where 
before people used, you know, would bring their own from, had to bring their own to have any at all. Right, right. Now, you said they're emphasizing more on the actual role-playing aspect of it as opposed to just combat, which is what 4th edition definitely focused on more. Are, I mean, have you done any Adventure League playing yet? Are you playing in a league? Are other people playing in a league that you're DMing? Yes. Um, actually, uh, I first got a feel for this at Gen Con this year. Um, I sat down at a table and I kind of was like, I figured that I would learn how to play 5th edition because I knew I would be selling it at the store that I work at. Um, and I didn't expect to love it as much as I did. Um, so I got to play in uh, four sessions at Gen Con. And currently now at Jetpack Comics, we are running um, an adventure every Wednesday night and then two Saturdays a month. Uh, and I've been DMing those along with a couple of the other DMs that are going to be working with us at Carnage Con. Now, have you found that the people playing in these games are role-playing more than they would have, say, in 4th edition? Are they actually like getting into their characters more, I guess is probably the best way to phrase this question. Um, absolutely, and, and, I th and it's really interesting. Um, I think that the factions have been helping with that quite a bit because hidden within um, the different uh, modules that they release are uh, hidden faction missions. So if a character is from the Emerald Enclave and they're at a city and they want to um, speak to someone from the Emerald Enclave, there's a good chance that, that person might also have give them a mission. Um, and what happens is at the end of the adventure, if you are working for your, um, your faction, you can get uh, what are called um, ranks within your uh, faction. And each faction has five ranks and they all allow you to get extra things on your character as you progress. Um, so it's really kind of cool, um, and, and I think they're taking care of you for actually role-playing. Uh, just an aside, a really fun thing uh, as part of character creation, every character can get what's called a trinket, which is basically just a random thing that your character could have. Um, like maybe it's a stuffed doll or whatever, um, but they're also very good role-playing points. Um, for example, uh, one guy... Uh, got an eyepiece, and that eyepiece he wrote into his character that it belonged to the lord that destroyed his land, and now he seeks revenge on that lord, uh, and so on and so forth. A really funny thing about those trinkets is lots of them are actually references back to second edition modules. That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, they, they, they put a lot of Easter eggs into 5th edition. Uh, in fact, if you open up the player's handbook and look in the appendix, uh, under T is the word Thacko, uh, and it's nowhere in the book at all. They just put it in the appendix as an Easter egg. That's pretty cool. Um, so now, is the Adventurers League geared more towards like the weekly play sessions? Are they gearing it more towards convention-style play? Because something that happened with between 3rd edition and 4th edition was that 4th edition was definitely pushed towards more of a play every Wednesday at your local game store and a little less on the convention thing, whereas 3rd edition was play at conventions. Well, um, what, what they've done is it's kind of like what they, uh, what they did with Friday Night Magic. They want to have one night a week where everyone can get out and play D&D. Um, &D. And it has been Wednesday nights so far. I did read an article recently um, with an interview with one of the guys from Wizards saying that he's heard a lot of people complaining about having only Wednesday night as an option. Um, so they're going to, I believe, come uh, the second part of 
uh, or the second term of this starting in January, they're going to open it up to whatever night of the week that you want to run it. But they also do something called D&D Expeditions, which are four-hour modules, and you can run those on any day that you want. We've primarily been running it on Saturdays. Um, the bigger conventions do get special modules that you can't play anywhere else. Um, they're called Epics. Um, and they released one at Gen Con, and it was only played at three different conventions. I think Indianapolis, Toronto, and I believe Seattle um, were the three places it was played. So you can get benefits for going to some of the bigger um, conventions, uh, but you can also play at your local your local store. Right, and those those four hour modules are good for a convention the size of Carnage Con, where we have four hour uh, time slots set up and. Players can play on them because we're not, you know, so large as Gen Con where, you know, we're going to get special treatment from uh, Wizards of the Coast anytime soon. Yeah, I see. Um, I see we're doing nine four hour sessions at Carnage Con um, for people to check out um, of and we're running all the modules that have been released so far. You could, in theory, play every session at Carnage Con and get exposed to just about every adventure that has been released so far. Okay, so now what is, because, um, you know, you're going to play at Carnage, and a lot of times we get a lot of people that come to Carnage that are new to certain aspects of games. So what about the Adventurers League is going to appeal to somebody who, say, has never actually played a, a role-playing game before? Well, I think that the, the best part of 5th edition in general is the simplicity of the game. Um, you know, the, it's taken a lot from a lot of different games that have been successful. Castles and Crusades um, is one that I'm thinking of right away, where it the rules are very simple. Um, you know, it gives you a chance to play whatever type of character that you want to play. Um, and, and it's the camaraderie of sitting down with friends and just, um, you know, moving through an adventure. Um, I think that a lot of people will be drawn to it. Uh, not to mention, I think that, uh, you know, it's going to be our DMs are pretty lively uh, and they like to um, to, you know, make this a big deal. Uh, so I think that we could draw some people in that way as well. That's always good, because a lot of times we have people, especially, you know, we get random cancellations of events and stuff and people are looking for games and large things like you guys are doing are always good for people to, you know, be able to sit down and, and you know, jump in and, and learn something like this. Um, so hopefully, even if people don't sign up to fill up two tables for each of your games, you still get two tables going off every session because of that. Right, and we're even uh, we're putting together, and we're in, in the process of doing this now. Um, we're putting together like um, like a little uh, point sheet, uh, and people uh, will get um, points for every single uh, module that they participate in. They'll get points for bringing a friend to play in a module, and then what will happen is we'll give away prizes based off of the points that different people have achieved. And that's something that we're just doing ourselves to try to encourage people to come play. That's great. Um, anything to encourage people to play. So with 5th um, edition, and we've got, you know, we, we've gone over how there's a lot of changes from the previous editions, and all good ones. Um, and the uh, differences in creating characters and how it's going to uh, embrace new people. Um, has there been a upswing in popularity of 5th edition? Um, I know 4th edition turned a lot of people off from the game. Have you heard about or seen a lot of more people playing 5th edition? 
Um, yeah, I, I'm a member of a couple of different Adventure League groups on Facebook, and most of the stores that are starting to run are seeing three to four full tables a night um, whenever they run. Uh, and that can be you know, 24 to 30 people, really, um, which is pretty huge. I know uh, for us, we aren't a huge gaming store, but we sell a good deal of gaming, and we've sold um, a, quite a number of 5th edition books in the last month and a half. Um, way more than we expected to. So um, I think because it is throwing in the Easter eggs and it's reminding a lot of people of second edition that you're seeing a lot of older players that are picking up the book to check it out, um, which I think is pretty fantastic. Um, plus the rules are just so simple that even someone that's never played a role-playing game before will pick up on them very, very quickly. Um, in one of our sessions right now, I've got an 8-year-old boy and a 10-year-old girl playing. And they've picked up the rules very quickly, and they're having a blast with it. So the, the rules are easy to pick up and everything, but it also sounds like that uh, more experienced players don't feel like they're playing an overly simplistic game either. Right, and I believe that once December hits um, and the uh, DM's Guide is released, they're going to um, give you alternative rules for adding complexity if you want to the game. Um, you know, bringing back some more third edition ideas or some fourth edition ideas that disappeared um, because they ulti ultimately want the game to appeal to uh, people that have played all of their systems um, and the emphasis on the home game being able to create the rules they want, I think, is going to be big moving forward. Yeah, that's definitely a big thing. Um, being able to have your own rules at home is always a plus. So is, now I know in previous editions of their, uh, I guess what would be the previous editions of Adventurers League, or at least what Adventurers League came from, uh, you had to report what your character was doing to Wizards of the Coast or whatever. It all went into like a database and uh, information was reported. Is that same sort of thing happening with Adventurers League or have they changed that up? Well, currently right now you have um, like an extra character sheet, and that extra character sheet records what modules you've participated in, um, and you have to write how much um, experience you got in the adventure, how much gold you got in the adventure and whatnot, uh, and then write what you ended with, and then the next time you do an adventure, you start over again. Um, and uh, so that's the way they're tracking it right now. They are in the beta uh, version of an online system where you can go in and log in all that information. Uh, for all your characters, but that is not open to the public as of yet. I'm hearing good things about it, but I haven't had a chance to mess around with it. Do you know if there if there's a expected when that would be coming out, or is it still so early in the beta stages that they're not giving approximate release dates yet? They have not given us a release date yet. I think, um, I, again, I think that they're very overwhelmed at the, um, the amount that this has taken off, um, and the DM's guide was supposed to be out in November, um, but that got pushed back. So uh, I think that they're just trying to keep everybody happy um, with the with the system that they have right now, and they'll get the stuff out as soon as they possibly can. So do you have any, uh, like a story or something? You said you played at Gen Con um, about a particularly fun aspect of something that might get some pique some people's interest in possibly wanting to play this well i mentioned um earlier how like you can play this theater of the mind well we played four sessions at gen con and the first three were all theater of the mind which is fun for its own uh thing but again i like playing with miniatures and having a map out 
um, and so on. So we specifically asked during our last session if they could get us a DM that would use a map. Um, well, uh, as they uh, were asking around to who was left for DMs, um, there was like the head DM for the entire show was there. And he said that he would take us down and, and run one through with us. Um, and the module we ran is called Shadows Over the Moon Sea. Um, and one of the first encounters that you have is kind of like with this this crazy person that's just like talking in circles and so on and so forth. And the DM was so animated and so into the character that we were hooked five minutes into the game. Um, and I think little things like that um, from a DM perspective really hooks a lot of players. No, that and, and that's very a good. That's a very good thing. Uh, you know, hooking the players in and being able to do stuff like that. Um, so, is there anything in particular about Fifth Edition that you want to talk about that I haven't asked you about yet? Um, I, I think just some of the basics are um, one of the things, like in Pathfinder and some of these other role playing games, as you start dealing with numbers that are very big. Um, Fifth Edition has kind of simplified everything down so that you're not dealing with plus 47 to attack. Um, it, it's it's a lot more basic than that. They've toned down armor class quite a bit, um, but they've kind of bumped up hit points a little bit. So skirmishes and battles aren't going to be finished in one or two rounds. It actually takes strategy and diligence and whatnot, um, which makes it a lot of fun. Um, the other cool thing is, unlike 3rd edition and even 4th edition, uh, where you had... Uh, a base uh, attack bonus, a base save bonus, and like base skills. Now in um, fifth edition, it's all the same number. So you have a what's called a proficiency modifier, and whenever you do anything in the game, you use the uh, the uh, aligned attribute, and then if you are also trained in it you get to add your proficiency modifier. Um, so, for example, if you want to try to uh, pick a lock with your Thieves tools, you could use your dex bonus, or if you're trained in it, you could add your proficiency bonus to it as well. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. So now, with this, it sounds like, you know, a nice balance. You know, you've got a lot of various directions you can go with your character as your character levels up, as you create your character. And... There's, you know, always been the people that really wanted to role play. What about the people who are the the true dungeon crawlers, the min maxers, the people who just want to go in and smash? Can they still make their characters that they like to make? Uh, I do believe that you can still min max a character. Um, you can't really do it by multi-classing in this game. Um, and also, when you create the character, the maximum you can have in any attribute is a 17. Um, so it's kind of a little bit more difficult to min-max, um, but you can certainly get into characters that are dealing massive amounts of damage. Um, for example, a rogue um, who gets their sneak attack before, um, if they attack before anyone else activates, and uh, monks uh, can get insane number of attacks, and their attacks can actually be used with weapons now. Um, you know, so it, there is room in there to, uh, to get some power gaming in. I'm just not sure if it's going to be as much as other games. But then again, uh, power gaming really happens when there's 40 books out for a game. This is very right, true. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so right now there's only three books out for this game. 
Um, I can say that if it is something that uh, people are interested in checking out, the $20 starter box is one of the best things I've ever bought. Um, it is uh, it ha- it comes with a set of dice. It comes with the rule book for Adventures League, and it talks about um, like how uh, combat works and things like that. It comes with five pre-made characters, and then it comes with a module that can take you from level one all the way up to level seven. The module itself is worth the twenty bucks, um, and and everybody that I know that has run it has had a blast with it. So now we've talked a lot about what it's like from the player's perspective. So you've been doing some DMing. What's 5th edition like and Adventurers League like from a DM's perspective? Um, so uh, they do a really nice job of outlining every NPC that is in um, a, a module, which is really cool. It talks about – it actually says how you should roleplay the NPC, which is interesting. Um, another really fun thing that I just found um, in the module that I'm running this Wednesday night – is that there are three characters that the players are looking for, and those three characters actually show up in a previous module from last month. So there's a chance that, that players have, have interacted with these three characters in the past and didn't realize that they were the bad guys behind the scheme that I'm going to be running this week. So that's really fun to see. Um, another thing that they've done is right before any um, module starts, they talk about the um, the power level of your uh, your group um, because at Adventure League you could have five level one characters or you could have seven level four characters running a module so as the DM you need to know how to adjust encounters um, and what they do is they have a little table at the beginning of each encounter that says if this is a strong party add two zombies if it's a weak party remove one skeleton um and things like that so that is a great great help um for the gms that you know maybe don't understand how um encounter level works or so on right so it sounds like it's not only friendly to new players but sounds like it might be friendly to people that want to take the leap from player to gm right and and so like i was also talking about how there's um kind of hidden faction missions right um and there's actually a section in e- at the beginning of each module that tells you where those missions are so that some DMs will bait their players into going on those missions. Others will leave it up to them to go find the mission. All in all, uh, it sounds like the Adventure League is good for both players, GMs, and everybody involved, new players, old players. Uh, you're running 12 sessions of it this, uh, at Carnage this year. Yeah, and I and I want to I, I just want to give a shout out to my my other two two DMs, um, David Ostrander's been playing um, Dungeons and Dragons since before I was probably born, um, and he's he was a big Pathfinder um, uh, player for the last two years, but when he sat down for D and D, he hasn't touched Pathfinder since, um, so that's really exciting. Um, my other DM is Jesse Rabitis, and He's a fantastic artist. He's an art, actually an art teacher, and uh, he's been taking all of the maps that are in the back of the modules and blowing them up big size and drawing them and making them look super sweet. Um, so that's going to be really, really cool to have as well um, at CarnageCon. Yeah, definitely sounds excellent. I'll definitely make a point to stop by and check everything out because it definitely sounds very interesting. Yeah, I believe that we're um, all the modules with um, 
with descriptions are in the book um, and people can go online uh, or once they download the, the event book, they can read what the different modules are and you can decide which module you would, uh, would like to come to. Um, but I think that, you know, all in all, if you enjoy, if you come, you know, first session and you really enjoy it, we, we'd love to have you the entire weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. That definitely sounds like a, a great thing. I know uh, some people do. They they really get into it. Um, you know, you get somebody comes in, they just start out in that first session. They never leave the tables until the end of the con. So, yeah, we uh, like I said, you know, I've played three point five and a little bit of Pathfinder. Um, Jesse Rabitis was big into three point five, and Dave was huge into Pathfinder. He was playing Pathfinder two to three days a week. Um, for the last year, and when the three of us sat down at Gen Con and saw what Wizards had done with this game, we were just so impressed, and we haven't looked back. Um, we're trying to add more sessions at Jetpack Comics. Um, we're looking for more DMs to run at Jetpack Comics. Um, so it's really growing quickly, um, which is pretty awesome. And so you said there's six modules out currently, and there'll be two more released before Carnage begins? Correct. I'm looking right now at the uh, the Carnage Con schedule, and I'm seeing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine modules total is what we will be running. Uh, and one of the modules is called Defiance and Flan. It's actually broken into five one-hour modules, and each one of the one-hour modules is a faction-specific module. So, like, if you decide that you want to join the Emerald Enclave you could come to the Emerald Enclave one-hour module, uh, and it will specifically build your reputation within the Emerald Enclave faction, which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I know we talked a little bit about uh, accessibility of the game, of, of, of the new edition of Dungeons & Dragons and the Adventure League in general, but I was wondering if you could sort of paint a picture for what a newcomer is going to find when you know when, when they come to the snowshed and, and they see your setup. How, how can they jump in and have fun all right well um the first thing that we're going to have um set up for everyone uh is uh you know the character creation center um and i have all the adventure league um rule books and i've got printouts of all the factions that explain uh who they are and whatnot every member um of each faction gets uh, a faction folder uh, which has a letter um, that uh, welcomes them to their faction. Um, and it's just a really nice piece that Wizards put together for us. Um, then, uh, you know, you'll see three DMs that are there to help you and guide you. And we all know the Player's Handbook pretty much front and back at this point. Um, and we will, uh, we will guide you and help you make the character that you want to make um, so that you can both have fun and, uh, and learn the rules. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, we'll also have a table that has um, miniatures on it, and those miniatures will be given away um, at the end of the con uh, to people who trade in their uh, the points that they earn by uh, playing adventures with us. And uh, did, uh, I might be conflating with somebody else, but I thought you were bringing banners. Uh, we do have we. I have one banner right now. I'm trying to get a second one from Wizards of the Coast. Um, they released a uh, some faction banners. And I've been talking with the, the New England rep uh, to try to get those faction banners. She said she's not sure if they're still available. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll at least have a giant D&D uh, &D Encounters banner for everyone to see. Um, 
and will stick out like a sore thumb, I believe. I think so. I mean, the banner alone is going to make it, I think, going to be a huge help in helping people find you guys in the snowshed. Yeah, um, you know, we want to have we want our area to be nice and and welcoming. We're going to get uh, you know tablecloths and things like that for uh, just so that everyone can be comfortable while they're there. Um, and and like I said, you know, our job over the course of the weekend is to both introduce the rules, but also to make sure that the players have fun. Um, so we'll help them make whatever characters they want. We will also have pre-generated characters there um, for people that don't make it to the um, the play session or the character creation session. So is there anything that new players need before they come into playing a game? Um, one of the things that we do have to do uh, is, because it's Wizards of the Coast, uh, players and DMs all need DCI numbers. So if a character or if a person is coming and would like to play and has a DCI number, they should bring that with them. Otherwise, we will have cards uh, for them to fill out that gives them DCI numbers. And this is a way for Wizards to track who's been playing which games. And I'm sure eventually they'll use it to to justify whether or not you earn the XP that you did and so on and so forth. I'm not sure if they're ready for that yet, but I do have to punch in that you played um, my game at such and such a time. Uh, into the Wizards event reporter. Um, so if you don't remember your DCI number, we can always look it up, um, or we can just give you a brand new one at the table uh, at the con. Right, and uh, for new players who may have played other Wizards of the Coast games, uh, you can get DCI numbers from having played Magic, so you might have one through there. So, you know, check around for that sort of stuff. Or if you played, I mean, I know back in 3rd edition, I had to have a DCI number for the 3rd edition Living Greyhawk campaign stuff so you know if you have uh, you might have a dci number so you might want to check to see if you have an old one um before you come to the con right and if you and like i said if you don't have one i can always look it up within the system um later on uh and and make sure that you're hooked up with that uh the best thing about adventures league is that up until fourth level you can change your character however you want and you can still keep the gold experience and everything that you earn in an Adventure League module. Um, for example, the character that I ran at uh, Gen Con uh, was an, a, an elf warlock. I just changed him over to make him a halfling warlock. Um, and that's perfectly acceptable up until fourth level, which is pretty cool as well. That actually does sound really interesting. It lets people experiment and play around a little in those early levels before they're locked into a choice so that they're not disappointed at level six that they've been playing this character that they don't really want to play but that's what they chose back at level one right and and realistically speaking you're also not punished for bringing a pre-generated character because you can use the pre-generated character get experience in gold and then go home and change your pre-generated character into whatever the heck you want yeah it keeps you from being punished for that that's for sure the spells within the game are built to uh, advance as you get to higher levels. So for example, you might have a first level spell, uh, and that first level spell uh, does 1d10 damage, but you could cast it as a third level spell, and it would deal 3d10 damage. So your, your spells are always relevant all the time. Um, which I think is uh, something that they kind of took from 4th edition where you had those daily ability or those abilities that you could use all the time. Mm -hmm. um, your zero level cantrips in 5th edition, you can use all the time and there are damaging ones. 
and they get better as you level up, um, which is pretty awesome for the casters. Um, a lot of people have enjoyed that. I did have one person complain about it, and I think that they were just trying to find complaints about the game. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's been uh, pretty positive among the, the, the people who are trying out the game, and regardless whether they're coming from second or third or fourth edition? Uh, yes, I've, I've had two fourth edition players that have um, transferred over. Um, I've had a bunch of people that played Pathfinder that are playing with us now. Um, and then I've had two guys who ha who haven't played a role-playing game in 20 years uh, since second edition. Um, and every one of them have enjoyed themselves. So, um, you know, I think that it's... I think they got it right. It's almost like the last six years they've really sat back and tried to say, how, how can we make everybody that's ever played D&D happy? Mm -hmm. And I think this is it. And like you, and, and uh, as you mentioned, it's also making new players happy too. Right. I mean, um, so like w when you're in combat and dealing with an attack of opportunity or, um, you know, all these different things are just more and more rules that people have to learn. Um, in 5th edition, the attack of opportunity is a lot more difficult to achieve. Um, you know, the flanking uh, is a lot more difficult to achieve. Um, so it really simplifies the combat. Are you next to a guy? Roll your dice. Did you hit him? Yes. How much damage did you do? Um, so uh, one of the cool things that they've done to help um, kind of mitigate those type of things is they've created something called advantage and disadvantage. So let's say you do something really awesome where you jump off of a building to try to attack a bad guy. Um, the DM could say, that's awesome. I'm going to give you advantage on this roll. And what advantage means is that they get to roll 2d20 and take the highest roll. Cool. That's a very interesting uh, mechanic. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's actually surprisingly relevant. Um, so, uh, and like little things like um, instead of saying a character, no, you can't shoot your bow when you're base-to-base -base with another guy, or if you shoot your bow base-to-base -base with another guy, they get to attack you first. Now it's, you can do it, but you're at disadvantage, which means you roll 2d20 and you take the lowest. Okay, that, I really like that system, actually. I like that whole mechanic. That's an excellent solution to a lot of complexity problems that D&D's had over the years. And it's right. taking work out of the, the GM's hands and putting it in the player's hands. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. So, like, um, for example, a rogue, in order to get his sneak attack damage, needs to have advantage on the attack. Um, you know, little things like that um, that are really streamlined and, and, and very fun. Um, one of the things that a DM can also do is they can award something called inspiration. Um, and inspiration is given to a character who does some, who role plays exceptionally well or does something very, very cool within the story. Um, and if that character gets what's called inspiration, at any time they can get rid of that inspiration or give that inspiration to another player, and when they get rid of it, they automatically have advantage on a roll. Um, so it encourages players to role play and to have fun and do awesome things inside of an awesome world. Speaking of the world, uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, maybe they'll release an Icewind Dale supplement or something like that. This all takes place in the Forgotten Realms uh, universe. 
Correct. That we are in Forgotten Realms. Um, uh, a majority of our um, modules so far are centered around the Moon Sea um, in the city of Flan. Um, the Horde of the Dragon Queen module does expand a little bit further than that. Um, but currently, right now, all of the modules are centered around the city of Flan. Um, there's an overarching story uh, where the cult of the dragon are trying to lure dragons to their aid um, in the hopes of releasing Tiamat from her prison. That's the overarching story for this season. Okay, and how long are seasons going for? Uh, I believe they're running them for four months. Okay. So we're at the, we're on, we're in season uh, four currently. That's going to wrap up, and the new season will start in January. So so like when you're running a module and you find out that there's uh, something to do with a dragon artifact or something like that, it's part of that giant overarching story um, that is inside of the uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen module that they've released. Mm -hmm. And this is it's still. Even if you're jumping in partway through, it's still going to be accessible, uh, even if you may, you may not know the what came before. Yeah, absolutely. The way Adventure League is designed is that your adventure is for hire, essentially. You can do um, any adventure that you want, um, and it's just understood that your character either went to the city at some time or so on and so forth. And the modules themselves are individual contained stories. They're almost like chapters, if you will, of the overarching Horde of the Dragon Queen story. So it sounds like the first thing people should do is come to Carnage next month to play 5th uh, edition Dungeons & Dragons and join the Adventurers League. Uh, in the meantime, Al, where would you suggest they go to learn more? Uh, if you go to the Wizards uh, website uh, and you look under Dungeons & Dragons, there's a whole page... Uh, dedicated to Adventures League. You can actually download the Adventures League rulebook there. I would recommend downloading it and reading through it. Um, it does have an explanation of each of the factions. It does talk about um, what you can do as far as magic items go, money. You earn something called downtime uh, after each adventure, which between adventures you can use to create magical items and things like that. And all that is explained within the Adventures League handbook. Okay. And uh, we'll be linking to that in the show notes as well if anybody uh, is browsing CarnageCon.com. So there'll be an, uh, another way for you to get there. So Al, what's your closing pitch to get people to come play Dungeons & Dragons with you and your friends at Carnage this year? If you're looking to check out the hottest thing in role-playing games, come on down to the Jetpack booth and play some Adventure League with three really awesome fun DMs. I don't see how anybody can say no to that. Yeah, I don't either. Al, thank you very much for coming on CarnageCast this week. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to CarnageCast, a production of NNEG LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit us at www.carnagecon.com.